So uh, tonight, um, I want me and I want you, I want us all to realise uh, something, maybe for the first time, or maybe just to hear this again. Um, and I want to focus on this for three weeks. Um, different people are speaking, not just me. Um, that our God is a God of welcome. Uh, he's a God of welcome. Um, and he wel- I could sit down now and say he welcomes you tonight. Let's, let's worship him. And that would be true. But I, I don't know about you, but a big part of my story of, um, of coming to know the Lord, coming to become a Christian, beginning to follow Jesus, was that I was welcomed. Um, I, I was welcomed into uh, a community of people. Um, uh, the church I ended up in was in a village uh, where I'm from. I have no idea how I ended up there, really, but that's a longer story. It was a flirt to convert thing, but we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. Uh, but, but I was there, um, and so was Susie. Uh, but the welcome I received in that church was, um, was, was wonderful. They went above and beyond. Uh, and I think I was um, probably about 12, 13 at the time. I wasn't from a Christian background. Um, or not an active Christian background at that time anyway. But, but they let me be in the worship band. I don't think I was even a Christian and play my electric guitar uh, like, like so loud to the point it drowned out the entire little church. Like people were stood in the pews and I was there with this kind of heavy metal, spiky looking guitar with a massive Fender amp behind me. And they just let me do it for years and no one batted an eyelid. But, but, but for some reason, that welcome that they gave me, I wouldn't suggest we necessarily do it like that, but that welcome that they gave me just kept me engaged in some way. Um, uh, a teenage lad um, wanting to play his electric guitar really badly and they let me join the worship band. Um, but there was something, uh, they eventually led me into leading worship and uh, I'm now a vicar, so there you go. But there was something of an excitement about the community um, despite there not being many people my age at that time, but there was an excitement about the community that I was, I was welcomed into. Um, and, and, and through that, I went on various things, uh, camps around the country, God camps, uh, and all that kind of stuff, still not really following Jesus, but um, I suddenly had a community of people scattered around the country who were welcoming me in, in a way I'd never been welcomed before. Uh, and there was something more real about them, there was something attractive about them, um, and ultimately, it was, yes, that they had Jesus, but it was that they'd received his welcome to the point where they could become welcomers. Um, they'd receive the welcome of God in their hearts. And you can see it in people. People that are good at welcome, I, I really believe they've received the welcome of God. And when you see someone that's hospitable, that doesn't necessarily follow Jesus, that is something of the image of God within them, because God is such a welcoming God. You see it in people, don't you? You probably know a few people like that. That's something that God's created them for, to be a welcomer. But ultimately, it starts from being welcomed by him. Um, so, um, and it's his very, very heart for us, um, uh, for every person we pray for, for every person we don't pray for, um, the unsaid prayers of our hearts, that they would receive his welcome, that they'd come to him, that they'd receive life, forgiveness, restoration. Um, where there's brokenness, he brings healing. Uh, where there's darkness, he brings light. Where there's anxiety and worry, he brings peace. And he welcomes us into living that kind of life. And a lot of what we're going to talk about this year is going to be about what it means to live that life with Jesus. And, it, and it's going to hit us sometimes and go, oh my goodness, that challenges a lot about the way I'm living my life. But let's welcome it. If we want to live in more of that freedom, we need to welcome the challenge of what Jesus said. 
So the theme over this year uh, for the evening gathering, um, tying in with freshers, we're about to throw a big banner outside, uh, um, tying everything even as we go through, as I mentioned, the Sermon on the Mount. The thing I want to tie it all together is this sense of being welcomed home. Welcomed home by God, welcomed home by Jesus. And my prayer is that uh, people this year find their spiritual home here at St. Barnabas. Um, Through our communities that I've mentioned already, um, but also by coming here. There's, a, there's an ebb and a flow of both, being invited and welcomed into both. And my prayer is also that they step in ultimately to their destiny of being people that have been welcomed by Jesus and then learn to extend his welcome to others. I believe that's what we're made for, to be so secure in the love and welcome of God that we can't help but welcome other people. Um, so this year really is about making it as as easy as possible for us and for everyone to encounter and connect with Jesus and be welcomed by him. Um, So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the mess that will bring as well. But I'm excited about that. Um, But it takes all of us to step into that and have a go and take a risk. Um, We're going to hear some challenging stuff on that over over the year. So I don't just want to have a bunch of people all welcomed up and happy here Um, although that's a great thing that we celebrate the welcome, but I think unless we learn to welcome others, we become spiritually obese. Um, uh, It leads to stagnation, uh, and it it leads to us being like a closed-wall community that ultimately is exclusivity. Um, And whenever we get a whiff of that here, we need to to make sure we're not that. Um, And, you know, that's the heart for the whole church, not just in the evening. We don't want to be exclusive. We want to extend that welcome to everyone. Um, So God welcomes us to be part of his people, um, to point to a God who created every human being to be in relationship with him. Um, It says in something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is a very interesting thing, basically how to live as a disciple, written a long time ago. It says this, the, the question is asked, what is the chief end of man, mankind, man and woman? A man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I know I'm not the only one that longs for that in every hurting, searching, empty person. Uh, I long for it in every person who hasn't battered an eyelid that they need a saviour. And also for those that very much do know that they need a saviour. I want it for both, that they taste life, um, how it's meant to be lived. Uh, in Christ. So I've already prayed, but I'm going to pray again and then dip in uh, to some scripture with us tonight. So let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you're here with us by your Holy Spirit, right now, right here. And thank you that you offer us life. Thank you that you welcome each and every one of us, wherever we are right now on our spiritual journey, whether we feel close or whether we feel far away or whether we don't even know who you are. You welcome us right now. Amen. So the reality is, um, whether you're a Christian or not um, today, um, we're often looking around trying to find something to make our lives happy and significant. You probably hear that kind of message a lot here. Uh, If I could wear these kind of clothes, then I'd be okay. Um, If I could just make myself look like that person, I'd be sorted, I'd fit in, I'd look right. Maybe they think well of me. If I could just get this job, I'd be satisfied, all that promotion. If I could get on the housing ladder, then I'd be secure. 
if I could get the 2-1 in my degree, then I'll be sorted. If I can just get there, and then I'll arrive at some sense of security. Uh, and God says, we've been talking about this in the morning a little bit, God says in Jeremiah 2.13, my people have done two evils. This is strong. My people have done two evils. They have turned away from me the spring of living water, and they have dug their own wells, which are broken wells that cannot hold water. Do you ever sense that in your life, where you've dug a well by mistake, often not deliberately, and you suddenly realise it's not watertight and you need to come back to Jesus, who actually offers the real stuff? I think we're constantly going around that cycle. But not only have we, um, and when I say we, I mean humankind, you can see it uh, all around. Not only have we rejected God and not looked to him to meet our needs and satisfy our lives, we're also trying to meet those needs on our own, in whatever way that may, may be. Uh, for you, these wells we've dug called career, maybe. I've already named a few. The way we look, that word about labels around our neck, weighing heavy, is I think is a word for some of us tonight. I don't want us to be on a downer about it. I want us to be free. Um, that's why I'm mentioning it. Um, but they're not going to hold water. They're leaky, and deep down we know it. One person had an amazing picture in a prayer meeting uh, a week or so ago. Of, uh, it's almost like what we do, um, uh, and we all do this to a degree, is that we hold, we, we're holding different pans of water in life, uh, kind of trying to juggle them all up, striving to hold them up. And, but, but the fact is they're leaky, and we're holding so many of them. Uh, and we run the marathon of life. We keep going. We keep going for it. We, we're panting. We're needing to keep up. But we cannot stop for a moment, because if we did, maybe, maybe we'd hit the bottom. But only when we do stop is it that we realise there's something within us that longs for that spiritual connection. It's often when we hit the metaphorical wall that we ask the question, how can I satisfy my spiritual thirst? And as I'm saying this, think of everybody you're going to see in the next week as well. Because it's us. We sometimes realise we've done this, but it's everyone else as well. In John 7, it says, Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Put your pans down and receive living water tonight. I feel like I say that most weeks, but it's so profound for us. Let's receive living water tonight and then give living water away. Let's leak to people, but leak the Lord rather than our own stuff. So I want to read from Luke 15 tonight. So it's not going to be on the screen because we forgot to type it up. Uh, so grab a Bible. There's a few about. There's a few more on a shelf back there. Um, I'm not sure. Oh, I do know. Um, Luke, Luke 15, um, beginning, at verse, beginning at verse 11. This is the prodigal son. We're going to open it up. And it's on page 1049. Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And many of you all know this. I know that. But let's, let's go with it. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms, sorry, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the word of the Lord. That's great. It's always like to see if there's any Anglicans in the room at that point. Maybe a few. Um, so many lives, as you know, are like the prodigal. Um, the prodigal in Luke 15. When he came to his senses, he had a deep, deep sense of sinfulness. It says stuff that he had done wrong in thought, word, or deed that wasn't how God had created him to be. Um, that's the way I would define that. But also a deep sense of brokenness. And he resolved to return and hope to get a hired servant's place within his father's household. Why did he do that? Because he realised he wasn't satisfied. His plans were not watertight. He dug his own wells. But little did he anticipate the welcome which awaited him. Uh, Little do many people anticipate the welcome of Jesus. Um, Generally, someone that comes to Jesus for the first time had no idea that's who he was. (laughs) Had some sense from their history that maybe he he was something else. Often he's misrepresented, maybe he's judgmental, maybe he's distant, maybe he's angry, when he's really loving, close and kind. That's the Jesus we're talking about. So he got up, the son got up and went to his father. And it's easy to picture this kind of miserable condition uh, that he's in at this time. He's got a downcast look, he's kind of got a faltering step as he kind of tentatively goes back to his father's house. And he has a hesitance as the house comes into view thinking, how will he be received? Will he be turned away? Will he be kept waiting behind a closed door while the father decides how to punish or maybe whisks him off into the servants' quarters? Almost a passive response to his return, maybe. The thought of the father's love and grace never entered his mind, I don't think, at this time. Now, to stop at this moment, how often are we so busy that we've become the welcomers but not receive the welcome. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. What are you welcoming in your life at this time? What is the chief thing that you're welcoming in your life? Maybe it's better things, maybe it's money, better clothes, better holidays, cars, more achievement, that promotion, the gym, we've named a few already. Maybe we look for something emotional, a relationship, an emotional connection with another person. Or maybe it may be the way people perceive you is what you're seeking to welcome the most in your life. Or if I achieve this, they will think that of me. Or only if I can portray the perfect life on Facebook or Instagram with my heavily filtered 
photos, people will think I'm doing well. I read an interesting thing about money. Uh, there's uh, one researcher calls when, when we spend the money, when people spend the money, particularly the money they don't have, there's this excitement, explosion of excitement and opportunity that happens in someone's brain at that moment. But as soon as the money's actually spent, we already secretly know that it doesn't do what it promises. It doesn't actually satisfy. Or maybe you're welcoming a philosophical answer. We try uh, and read and find out lots of information, head knowledge, and we have it all neatly packed and organised. Um, but we're never going to know enough. Spiritual thirst cannot be quenched by head knowledge or neatly packed theologies. It helps, but that alone is not going to quench our thirst. No matter how many conferences we may go on, we won't be satisfied by them alone. No matter how much we read self-help books or new theories on fulfill, life fulfilment, um, the latest Joe Wicks diet plan. People know Joe Wicks? Yeah, he's hit training. Um, I did it for a bit and totally gave up. Um, but it's not going to satisfy. It did not satisfy me, okay? I know from experience. It did the opposite. I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. Or maybe it's a religious answer for some of us. Uh, to our questions, to our thirst, so we bury our heads in church activity or religious activity. No matter how many services or gatherings we go to, it's only Jesus who brings living water. It's not even the church that brings living water, it's Jesus. It's not about whether we've got nice lights and a rug at the front. It's about Jesus. It just helps create a nice atmosphere, maybe. Um, but it's not ultimately that that's going to satisfy but thank goodness he is present when we gather. There's nothing wrong with any of these things. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. We need emotions, all that kind of stuff. Philosophical answers are great. Structure of devotion uh, and a pattern of gathering uh, together is also great. But as I said, those things alone won't satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. So, are we receiving the welcome of the king first in our lives? Or have things just got a little bit busy or overwhelming? What I often see, and I see this um, for people that have a wrong idea of who Jesus is, but I also see it for those who've been a Christian for a while, is that we begin to believe the lie that we're the ones that have to find our way back whenever we've kind of just gone off to the side a little bit in thought, word or deed. Granted, there's a turning that needs to happen to Jesus, that's what repentance is, if you've ever wondered what that word is. It's fully turning around to face Jesus and receive his embrace and step into what he's called you to be. But the most profound part of this is the Father's embrace that we read about. So this is where it gets quite personal uh, for me. Over the last couple of weeks, as many, many people experience, um, particularly those who work in terms or deadlines, um, there's a mad rush to get everything sorted uh, get it up and running and sometimes it feels like you're spinning too many plates to actually be able to physically manage anybody ever had that experience? excellent, good it's not just going to be the James wallowing session uh, the last few weeks uh, felt a little bit like that for me uh, and I'm sure a number of people on the team as well uh, there's been a, um, a, for me a sense of worry anxiety, there's been a, a lack of sleep involved has been a heaviness about me. And at 4, 4 a.m. on Tuesday night, I, I was up for 
one of a number of times recently, trying to compartmentalise things. If I can only get all this on an Excel sheet, somehow I'll be able to control it. Um, all these different things are going on, uh, and it will be okay. Um, I did actually go back to bed and sleep after it, so it kind of worked, but it just, just doesn't work, does it? The next morning, though, as I prayed, I was on my way over here. I had to lead the Word section for the staff team. I was like, what on earth am I going to bring? I thought, I'm so tired. Um, but I had this vivid picture of me the night before. Um, uh, the picture was of God... This is so simple, but so profound. It was of God sat in the room with me at 4 a.m. Surprise. Wanting to be the lifter of my burdens... Wanting to be the one there in the moment. And it doesn't mean I won't be busy. But I know when we know God is a lifter of our burdens, it takes the weight off. Do you know God as a lifter of your burdens? Because I think if we really know, it lifts the weight off. It doesn't mean we're not busy, but it lifts some kind of weight off that you can't quite put your finger on. So he's present, not just passively. He's actively welcoming me to come into his presence every moment, not to divide the God stuff, the work stuff, the stuff I should be able to manage and the stuff I should take to God, but rather to be right there, welcoming, welcoming me, always welcoming me. He's the God... Thank you, Matt, for this the other day um, uh, in something else. He's the God who prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Don't you love that in Psalm 23? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Whatever enemy that may be, physical perhaps, maybe mental, a mental enemy, maybe it's stress, anxiety, worry, that deadline, whatever it may be. But there's a reality of God right in the thick of it, still welcoming us. In the times when we've utterly forgotten to welcome him, He's there. When it seems like we've just got to crack on spinning the plates, holding on to those pans of water, he's there, life himself, he's there welcoming us. He's there when we've walked away as much as he's there when we're doing really well. When he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran this is a different translation, and fell on his neck, almost the passion of it, fell on his neck and kissed him. The son who'd wandered off had never ceased to occupy the heart of a loving father, because love reigned there. And when we talk about God being a God of welcome, it's because he's a God of love, and he's a God that's not going to stop reigning in love in every person you will see in this next week. He's utterly pursuing them and wanting to welcome them too. And when he was a great way off, the father's watchful eye saw him, filled him with compassion. He ran and casting, this is a paraphrased version, and casting his arms around his neck, he hugged, he kissed him, told him he was forgiven and loved even before he had time to confess all that he'd done. The eye saw, the heart was filled with compassion, the feet spared, the arms embraced, the lips covered with kisses, the son who would beg for a servant's place. The father knew him well. So this is not just a prodigal son that's spoken of, but as Tim Keller puts it, a prodigal God. Prodigal meaning extravagant, meaning reckless, meaning having spent it all positively or negatively. 
It's always traditionally talked about the prodigal who wasted everything, and he did. But this is really a story of the response of the extravagant, reckless God, recklessly in pursuit of you to welcome you again and again. First time or a thousandth time. You know what? He's willing to pay the cost of the cross to welcome you back. So you want to follow Jesus. It starts when we receive that embrace, the Father's love. We encounter that embrace and we accept his welcome. To live extravagantly for him, recklessly, unapologetically seeking to share his welcome. We've so recklessly been given. Spending all we have to do so. So at the start of this year, dear, the start of this year, before you get busy, before you get burnt out, I pray you don't, but before even a chance of that, receive the Father's welcome tonight. And then let's welcome others like crazy for the whole year and see what happens.